0: This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio.
1: The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off.
0: Wonders that defy my powers of description.
2: The secrets that are mine alone.
1: to 902 you are tuned to one hundred and two point seven three 3 R. maybe you're listening via rrr.org.au. this is radio marinara we are the program about all things wet and salty every sunday morning at 9am my name is bron Burton.
0: and my name is dr beach
1: hey dr beach
0: i'm very well
1: excellent i'm, I'm,
0: I'm most pleased to be sitting back in this chair it's I, been i'm
1: most pleased you're here
0: 10 weeks or something like that
1: how was your uh, my 10 summer weeks? yeah
0: my summer was excellent it was very fantastic good. Pleased to hear, but um, yeah, very pleased to be back here Excellent. and joining you, Bron. Yeah, and narrator on the panel. It's all beautiful,
1: and Kent in the green room.
0: Life's just lovely,
1: and uh, we'll go through our lineup in a second. Thank you, Tim, very much for vital bits. Thank you for playing um that lovely Nick Drake track mm-hmm. towards the end, and you can catch Tim next week. Thank you also, our Andrew Minga, for soulful bits.
0: I was about to say, imagine if Nick Drake was still around, but. I don't know, it's the, the, the songs that we have time. probably wouldn't have, and I hate using this word, but The Resonance.
1: Hmm. Little, beautiful little capsule in time music that came from yeah. Nick Drake. Oh, my. Today's program, we're going to shortly be joined in studio by Rex Hunter. Our own Rex. He's going to be talking about the ship's graveyard near Port Phillip Heads. Who to the ship's graveyard?
0: No, but I'm is... looking forward to hearing about mm. it.
1: And some news about some discoveries in the US of the Maritime Heritage
0: as soon as we mentioned that ship's graveyard near Port Phillip Heads, I like get these wonderful images of what it was like in Melbourne 150 years ago, where Hobson's Bay was just chockers mm. and Williamstown with ships and all the ones coming in and out. And even though all of that signified us stealing the country and all those things, it's still a nice. Image mm. of all those ships. So I look forward to hearing that.
1: Rex has just finished his master's thesis on the lime burners he's
0: doing his masters.
1: Yeah, I reckon there could be a movie in that. The lime burners.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oldie, be like it, Rush. He's not doing his masters in Catalan identity, is he? That's, that's a line from Woody Allen film. Of the oh, West Max. I Whenever I hear <laughs> people doing their masters, it's uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was what was the one with um, oh, Penelope Cruz and uh, and anyway, forget it.
1: We'll get Vicky,
0: Vicky Christina, Barcelona.
1: Okay. I'll yeah. just take your word for it. There was the a I
0: do my master's in Catalan identity. Right. It was funny at the time.
1: <laughs> I don't think that's what he's... Well, not, no, that's no, not what his no, masters has no, been no, on.
0: No,
2: no,
1: no, not at all. Um, anyway... That's Rex. Uh, we've got a ton of news and um, all sorts of uh, events and um, things to talk about, so we'll we'll do that towards the middle of the show. Then we're going to be joined in studio by Cade Mills, who is well-known to us and hopefully to you. Cade wears a ton of different hats. Uh, he's going to be coming in and talking to us. I'm not sure which hat he's wearing, maybe none of them. He's just come back from an International Shellfish Reef Conference.
0: With a nude head. <laughs> No hats. No
1: hats, and he's going to be uh, just telling us what. What do people talk about uh, at a at a uh, conference completely devoted to shellfish reefs? Nice
0: one. Yeah, shellfish reefs. Yeah, lots of shellfish. So like. Okay, let's wait.
1: Yeah. yeah. So not just... It, it's at, at reefs uh, comprised entirely of shellfish. Um, we know there's been a lot of restoration work that's been going on in Portfield Bay. There's been quite a lot spoken about that. We've had various people on talking about that over the last couple of years. There is now an entire conference devoted to that and maybe it happens every year. So we'll find out from Cade what that was all about.
0: And then at the end of the show, I'm going to do a... I'll the beach and talk about a couple of papers which have appeared in the most recent issue of Science, uh, the magazine Science. And one of them was alluded to in the newspaper yesterday, and I think about page nine, talking about the rapid dissolution of the sediments around coral reefs in particular. Well, an early study had been done at Heron Island, so on our Great Barrier Reef, and now these people have extended that, and this was led by somebody at Southern Cross University. Um, that's a, an excellent paper. And another one which is kind of... The shipping news is fascinating. Mm. Um, automatic identification systems they have on all ships now, or virtually all ships of any significant size. Um, this was set up to enable ships to recognise one another so they don't go boom into one another. A um, bit like air traffic control. Right. You know, Aeroplanes can recognise one another. Mm. Uh, but now all of this is stored, all of these data, and a science paper has been done for people at Google and all sorts of other... Organisations where they've taken all of these data and plotted where all the fishing vessels are on the earth at any one time, and they have these these live data that they've now worked with, got all these fancy algorithms to identify, and there's an enormous amount of information which is coming out of that, and this is the first paper on that in science, so I'll talk about that at the end.
1: Oh, cool. I've got a few questions for you already.
0: hope I can answer them.
1: (laughs) Okay. Weather?
0: That'd be me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, today... It's, it's cooler than going, yesterday. It is. Oh, yeah, it was nice and steamy yesterday morning, wasn't it? And then the cool change came in. Today's going to be 20 degrees, uh, slight chance of shower in the morning. Winds south 20 to 30 kilometres per hour, increasing to 25 to 35 kilometres per hour in the middle of the day. Then tending 20 to 30 kilometres per hour in the evening. Uh, tomorrow, 26 degrees and sunny. Tuesday, warming back up to 30 degrees and sunny. Uh, and then towards the end of the well, Wednesday twenty six, Thursday twenty three, and then Friday warming up again slightly. So yeah, pleasant late summer. Is it, can we call this an Indian summer? As we had Tim some discussion was, uh, around that off discussion air with um, with Tim. Um,
1: I don't know that it would be would be in accordance to.
0: So summer officially finishes for us on March
1: one, which is Thursday.
0: Which is Thursday, yeah. Oh, yeah! All right, who cares? Um, <laughs> on the water, swell nets saying through the age, gusty onshore winds are creating choppy. Surf conditions at most beaches, water temperature is 21 degrees. For those of you heading out on top of the water, the tides, uh, we have a at Point lonestar which is the heads, we had a high tide this morning at just before 7 a.m., so low tide's going to be just before 1 o'clock in the afternoon, a point two four metre High tide. Brilliant. Uh, did you see that the Marine and Coastal Act passed the lower house of state parliament during the week? Lower house. The lower house. So it now has to go to the upper house. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm on the program with Anth next week, and we're going to have Jeff Westcott in to talk about that. We're going to pontificate what's going to happen in its passage through the upper house because mm. it won't have passed through or won't have even been put to them yet, I don't think. Um, and Jeff has been heading the panel looking at the new bill which has been put to Parliament and as I said it's just passed the lower house now.
1: Was it a relatively easy passage through the lower house? Dunno. You can ask him that next week.
0: Yeah, all I know is it's passed.
1: i got it, that's good. One tick?
0: Yeah, one tick.
1: Now for the next one.
0: Yeah, and we can only trust that it has good content and I do trust Jeff since he has been looking after it that it has good content. Mm -hmm. But we'll find out a lot more next week very good
1: a uh, quick plug and then we're going to have some music um, today this has already got underway so I want to give it a quick plug now uh, Mordialic pier there is a beach and pier dive cleanup underway sea Shepherd in conjunction with their diving partners dive to you cleaning up beach and areas around Mordialic pier so uh, registration opened at nine o'clock uh, you must register if you want to be part of this um, cleanup commences at 9.30, so in about 20 minutes time it will run until 11 o'clock and then uh, from 11 till 12 there'll be data counting and uh, continuing with the cleanup so if you want to take part in that it's happening at Mordialic pier it's kicking off very soon it's free obviously uh you would hope (laughs) (laughs) for a cleanup Uh, it's a family friendly event everybody is welcome uh there will also be a limited amount of sea shepherd merchandise for sale on the day they do do very good merch do sea shepherd um so make sure you take your own water sunscreen, hats gloves they have got some that can be borrowed but it would be good if you could take your own gloves to protect your hands and they have got some bags available for collecting liver at uh, liver <laughs> <laughs> with uh, some fava beans and a fine chianti well so,
0: so, <laughs> sunday morning down the morning like there might be a few dead livers down there who knows <laughs>
1: Let's have some music on that note. <laughs> oh.
0: no, you can even track up the dead livers. That's a good band.
1: I <laughs> see <laughs> from the Orb Weavers. A beautiful release from last year, Deep Leads. This is called The Hook. Beautiful Orb Weavers there and the hook from Deep Leads, their gorgeous album released last year. Orb Weavers are playing a gig this coming Thursday, uh, the 1st of March. It's free. It's from 6 till 7, so what a nice thing to do after... a a day of work or study or whatever it is that you do, you could get down to the library at the dock performance space, library at the dock performance space, 107 Victoria Harbour Promenade in Docklands, and just go and sit there and absorb the orb weavers for an hour on a Thursday evening.
0: Sounds damn pleasant.
1: I think it sounds very lovely. Very nice. Yeah.
2: Good morning, Rex. Morning, Brian. How are you? Well, thank you. Yourself? Very good. Good Good to have you back. Yeah, good to be back. Yeah, it's a long time between drinks couple of weeks <laughs> something like that
1: you're talking to us about we've said the ship's
2: graveyard ship's graveyard yeah you're yeah, gonna rattle on about that for a little while um, also some latest breaking pirate news uh, oh we do love that for <laughs> well, I know it's not national talk like a pirate day but um, there's a record the widow that was an ex slaver that a pirate took over in 1716 plundered the east coast of uh North America for twelve months and uh, end up with what they estimated one hundred and twenty million dollars. and proceed to be, be wrecked at uh, Cape Cod. So um, there was a guy called B- Barry Clifford, and he searched for this wreck for years and years, quite came quite obsessed. I know, <laughs> I know the feeling, and uh, eventually found it in nineteen eighty four. So this is like a private enterprise, and Barry's looked after this thing. He hasn't dispersed the collection; he's held it all together, which and doing proper conservation and all this, so um, he's held the collection and it's on display. And they had a huge concretion, like a three, three and a half ton concretion, and in the this concretion were a couple of very ornate and expensive pistols, which I expect was from Black Bellamy, and then further digging, as they're slowly deconcreting this object, they found a femur. Ooh! Ooh. So... (laughs)
0: So this was a wreck that was. Did you say the Widdar?
2: The Widdar, seventeen hundred and. And it was discu- It
0: was found by Barry Clifford in nineteen eighty four. Yes. And so since that time, it's this. been the the concretion around the the, the pistols and this now fema has yeah. been they've been actively dissolving it slowly. Just with dental picks, they just pick away. I so think. since nineteen eighty four, there've been people well, with dental picks <laughs> at this, and now.
2: Well, the, they've probably been working on it for probably a year or two, but. They've got, you know, like virtually tonnes and tonnes of material because to get to this site they have to blast through, and this is where the archaeology goes Oh, it's out. still all in situ. They've, they've raised this section, but it's in sand and they have to blast away 10 metres of sand to get to the wreck at the bottom. Off Cape Cod. Off Cape Cod, which they can only die for about three or four months a year because it's so cold and rotten the rest of the time. Right, so yeah, it's pretty. Uh, so so the
0: fema that I don't know, but it might be this pirate whose name again is
2: uh, Black Bellamy.
0: Black Bellamy, that's Sam. a good, that's a good pirate, name. <laughs> <What> Sam, <laughs> Sam. Sam. What do we? Yeah,
2: was Sam? It, was it
1: Sam? It, Sam Bellamy. Yeah, and uh, so what? What do we know about him?
2: Well, he was uh he was from um, the UK, and he it was a was he black? No, he was he had black hair though, and he used to right. wear ponytails and it'll stuff it'll be the pirate reference though presumably since though <laughs> so he's the model for Johnny Depp in the, the pirates ah, movies but right he came out to the um the US in about 1716 because the the spanish treasure fleet had been wrecked in down florida so they what they call this is like going fishing so they would get a a crew you know a, a crew together a speculative crew and they'd go down and plunder these wrecks because I was still sticking up above water and they had you know just Multi millions a dollars worth of gold and silver from um, Mexico and places like that where they they didn't. <laughs> where, they, where they
0: nicked
2: it. Where well, they nicked it, exactly, yes. So and they've been deconcreting, well, they've de-con- been deconcreting this object, three and a half tonne object, for, you know, say 12 months or two years. They've had it for, sitting around for 10 years or something.
1: So is there any speculation on who the femur might have belonged
2: to. Well, they're, th- they're saying um, black belly. They think it might actually be So him. And there's a relative of some descendant in the UK and they're going to do try and do a DNA comparison to try and identify this. Nice one. Yeah, yeah so there's a bit of science, a bit of archaeology, a bit of pority.
0: So that yeah. they'll be looking at the mitochondrial DNA because that's what that's will survive in his femur. yeah So they're going to have to find a relative through the, his female line. Through the mater- so they've got to be connected through the maternal line.
2: Yes, yes. So there, there is a, some relative there in the UK who's offered... Nice one. ...offered his DNA, DNA for a comparison.
0: And the ship's graveyard? Of-
2: the ship's graveyard. Now we get to... Phillip import- heads? <laughs> Port- something a bit more local. It's <laughs> Something a bit near and something more tangible for us. Any, any
0: femurs of pirates dragged <laughs> up from there recently?
2: <laughs> no, but, uh, well, funny you should say that... At the quarantine station, at um, we all know at the quarantine station down the point of P, and they buried that was. I'm getting off track here, but they buried. That's them, all
0: right. I do it all the time.
2: <laughs> that was where, like, when ships would arrive from the UK, and they would be say typhoid or something like outbreak, and they'd be quarantined at the quarantine station. So they bury, they bury them haphazardly. You know, there's
0: there there's, are a lot of graves down there, aren't there?
2: But then, as the uh, the beaches gradually being washed away over the years. And all sorts oh, of things again. turn up in the water, and people have seen skulls and wow, I've off, not done off that. the quarantine station.
0: That'd be a good kind of Halloween <laughs> excursion. <exhibition. laughs>
2: <laughs> I've also heard. So of this God. is
1: not what you're talking about when you're talking about <laughs> ship's graveyard. This is something different. It's <laughs> no, <isn't? he's>, <laughs> going off track. Yeah, is another right. ship's graveyard. <laughs>
2: There's a whole radio program called Off Track. <laughs> yeah, off Track. So if we go, we'll bring back on, on subject, uh, ship's graveyard. So. If you could imagine, there's a stack of vessels in Victoria, and the um, these vessels, say, sa- old sailing ships, and so time. we're talking
0: what dates? The 1850s on.
2: Well, the, sh- the, the um, ships' great. The first official scuttling in the ships' graveyard yeah. that we tracked down was in 1910. But oh, right, we don't know. F- records were, were pretty poorly kept from there up until the m- sort of mid 19 or late 1920s, Um at this stage, we've got probably we estimate at least forty, forty-seven vessels scuttled out there, and we've but we've got got documentation for about thirty-seven. So there's some with a you know a bit iffy, but they may have been scuttled out there.
0: When you say scuttled, that, that, I mean that implies to me that it's an active thing, so it's not an accident that they've gone that, yes. that they've actually said, okay, we've got to get rid of this. Let's pull the plug.
2: Yes. So why? W- well, what happens is um, back in so. Uh, Early 19- through the early 1900s, they have excess shipping. And your ship might be an old wooden vessel and it's not, worth, it's not worth anything at all, say. And you have to get rid of this vessel.
0: So and it's an insurance
2: job? No, it's not insurance, serious There are old hulks and things like that. So th- quite often they break up old vessels along Footscray, along oh, the Maribyrnong oh, okay. River for firewood. So there's a huge industry right, just breaking just, up okay. and recycling iron, steel... Um, and also wooden ships. So why were these ships scuttled rather
1: than having them be pulled apart and have their bits used for other things? Well, they got to
2: a point where it wasn't economical enough to be able to break this vessel up. Like, if you got to the lower hold, like vessels like the Casablanca, they took, I think, top, say, uh, down, say, two metres or something like that. They took all that away because that was easy to get at, easy to get at steel or iron, but the rest, the hull, they had to drag up in the shallow waters and then break it all up and this is before you know oxy torches and all the rest of it so you'd be a lot of physical manual work and it sometimes just wasn't worth the effort to break to break these vessels up so they'd be um contract somebody uh, to take company to take them out and scuttle them so
0: couldn't they put them in a big shipping container and send them off to China to be recycled? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Per, per well, there was a ban
2: at that stage. A ban, that's right.
0: Yeah, they weren't accepting
2: <laughs> anymore. They didn't want our old ships. <laughs> when, did the practice of, when did this practice stop? Well, it stopped... The last vessel, but it wasn't scuttled in the ship's grave, it was scuttled off uh, so about 10 miles south of Cape Tank was a bayonet, and that was sort of late 1990s. That was an ex-Navy uh, uh, vessel. So... so-
0: I Are mean, there many of these ships in the ship's graveyard lying undiscovered? Is There's is, is still... I suppose it's piquing your interest. Do you want to get out there and, and catalogue the rest of them?
2: Uh, well, I've got too many things to do already. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> it's not enough hours. But in is, there,
1: is there general interest out there?
2: Oh, it's a fantastic uh, resource because mm. we've also got a, um, a class of J-class submarines out there.
1: Yes, I've dived on one of them
2: yeah, a long time ago. Great dives. I can't remember which one it was. What's a
0: J-class submarine?
2: It was a World War One um, English-built submarine, and uh, as a gift <laughs> back then, then gift from the UK, they gave us these pieces of rubbish J-class submarines. That just the Australian government gave, this is gave them to us in about 1919, I think it was. And the government spent today in today's money you know, like millions and millions and multi millions of dollars. a Bit like those helicopters we got you know 20 years ago. They weren't worth the, weren't worth the money. Yeah. They spent multi millions of dollars comparatively. And then uh, found out they vibrated, they were useless. And so they just um, stripped them of all the materials, except for the J class sub at Swan Island, which they ran the motors as a generator to power Swan Island. And the rest were just broke. Oh, there's the one down the Sandringham Yacht Club. There's a J class sub there, which is part of a breakwater. And the rest were scuttled outside Port Phillip Heads. So they, oh, I don't know they're meters.
1: They're quite deep. When I was yeah. when I was doing a lot of diving, there was one that was called. There was a ninety foot sub, yes. and then one twenty foot sub. Yes. So it was basically the difference between you know diving thirty or forty meters. Yes. Well, might yeah. I think that was it. Yeah. Well, I, it was, I dived the shallower one. It was about thirty meters. Yes. Yeah, I still it, remember it was an amazing dive.
2: Great dives, yeah, fantastic dives, and people come from all, all around Australia just to dive these sites. because yeah. So where are they again? I want to know. South sort of, of yes, southwest of Port Phillip Heads. Yes. Yeah, yep. so, yeah, a couple of miles southwest. So the um, to get in and out of the heads, uh, we have things called the leads. So the, the leads are what the, the big light at point on style, uh, point the point Queensland with another pole. Yeah. And you come in on those leads, and there's a whole variety of different leads. So what what they do in the early 1900s after these after we started discovering some of these sites and other divers as well, they all just just went just off the leads and would scuttle these vessels. Because you know, time's money, and yeah. the further you tell them, the more expensive. So they'd just scuttle them all over the show without actually taking m- marks or bearings where they went. And it wasn't until about 1932 that the uh, Marine Act, uh, the uh, there was an act brought through federal government whereby they had to have a designated area, which then became about five miles south of Bowen Heads, where they had to scuttle all their vessels. So from then on. All vessels they knew were within a circular radius of, I think it's about three and a half miles or something like that. So there's a great stack of um, old ports and harbours, vessels, uh, uh, you know, coal, uh, there was coal hulks, there was a, yeah, there's a paddle steamer out there, there's, there's popper barges, there's, there's coastal steamers. Amazing. It's absolutely everything. It's just clipper ships, there's a whole, the whole show.
0: No, none of them with nuclear reactors on board or anything like <laughs> that. It's that, kind of slowly not, leaking out. Not the N- subs, Nox's pollutants.
2: So they'd virtually strip everything out of it, everything yeah. of value, um, and just take them out there and scuttle them. And it wasn't always successful either. because there was a vessel called the Norwest, and that was being towed out through the heads in 1927. That was an old sailing ship. So they took all the masts and that out, and they're towing out, and they hit a bit of trouble, uh, hit a bit of... Um, wind and tide action. If anybody's ever been through there, wind against tide is quite a scary place to be. Mm. And the vessel actually broke loose and drifted ashore at the uh, back beach of Point Nepean, just near the Sierra Nevada. Right. So <laughs> it wasn't always successful. And other people... There was a company called the... Um, uh, the uh, There was a, a, a Ridge company, Ridge... Melbourne Lyder Ridge Company. And it they was they run by... Um, of a ma- maverick called Mr Treacy. And Mr Treacy didn't always want to spend money on having ships paying proper money, so he quite often he'd just run his vessels ashore back at Williamstown, and just cop the fine. So he'd be fine, taking the court, fine him 50 pounds, it was cheaper than paying uh, somebody in a tug to take his vessel outside their heads and scuttle it. There's
1: versions of that that still <laughs> go on today. <laughs> <you know>. Absolutely, <laughs> with the asbestos from building yeah. sites. Yeah. Hey Rex, we're going to have to um, move on.
2: Yeah, cut me off at the knees, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got? Uh, what have you got... circling
1: <laughs> us right back to the missing femur? We've gone full circle. Or the discovered femur? What's coming up in the next few weeks well, between now and when you're back?
2: Well, we're going to be searching. Obviously, we did a search for the uh, Winchester again last week and came up empty again. So we've covered the bottom sector of the, our search grid. So we're moving north. Uh, we have found a bit of communications cable from probably. 19th century, um, mm. a mobile phone. Uh, if anybody lost a mobile phone, I know where it is. <laughs> not,
1: not from the 19th century.
2: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's underwater, and so we've, we're we're moving north and just continue on mowing the lawn. Nice.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Rex. No problems. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> Enjoy the next few weeks.
2: We're looking forward to hearing the update. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully we find it next time. Yeah. Hi, this is Wayne Lynch, and you're listening to Radio Marinara on Three Triple R.
1: Hey, thanks, Wayne Lynch. 9.30 on the dot. we have got a couple of quick plugs and then we're going to play a track and get Cade Mills in. He's in the green room right now. Victorian Coastal Awards, we mentioned, we've mentioned them over the last few weeks and they're extending their deadline for submissions by a week. Nice one. Which is very kind of them to allow some uh, more submissions coming in. So we've already put those details on our Facebook page. Um, Just to remind you, there are a few different categories where you can nominate groups and people who are doing great things in the Victorian coastal and marine environment. So the categories are improving the physical environment, biodiversity conservation, education, community engagement, planning and management, research and monitoring and outstanding individual achievement. So there you go. We've already got those details on our Facebook page. So have a look there and you've got another week to get your applications in.
0: Are you got, putting in any submissions, Bron?
1: I might be. You might be. Okay. I'm not at liberty to say right now, Dr Beach. Okay. okay. <laughs> Are you? I might be. <laughs> Next week on Sunday, it is Clean Up Australia Day. and uh, Get your gloves on. Yeah. Uh, there is a ton of stuff going on. Um, I had a look at their website last night. There are already thousands of sites registered. Um, so that means that if you want to get involved and you're not quite sure you know where to go or what to do, you don't have to organise your own clean-up. You can hook in with one of many. It's a very sweet image that they're using this year for Clean Up Australia Day. It's a little crab coming out of a bottle. Um, <laughs> (laughs) Um, But the bottle's actually in the sand. It's just like a little sandcastle bottle that they've um, created with a um, little sand sculpture. And if
0: you're busy next Sunday, can't do that, but you missed bronze mentioned before and you want to get involved in stuff like that, go to Mordialic Pier
1: today. Yes. There's always something to clean up, isn't there, Dr Beach? Yeah, that's Sea Shepherd down there. Um, Another plug that I want to get in there now because I... Expect it's going to sell out. Is the upcoming Ocean Film Festival? Uh, this is a regular occurrence, and there are actually um, going to be several different locations in Victoria where you can go and see. Uh, it'll be the same lineup of films, I believe. We're going. We're hoping, hopefully, going to have someone from the Ocean Film Festival coming in in a couple of weeks uh, to tell us more about it. But I did want to give it a plug now because I know the tickets are already on sale. Best thing to do is to go to oceanfilmfestivalaustralia.com.au. Ocean Film Festival. Australia.com.au. All of their films, they range from two minutes to 15, sometimes half an hour. So it's a whole little collection of films all about the oceans and it's uh, all set up to inspire us all to in, uh, explore, respect, enjoy and protect our oceans.
0: Indeed, an amazing looking lineup. I had a, um, a quick look at the at the program and I'm excited. I'm going to get on and book some tickets soon. So as Bron said, if you are very keen to go as we are, um,
1: book. Yes. So, um, some dates, uh, Geelong, Friday the 23rd of March. They're all in the evening. Uh, just having a quick flick through. Yes, they're all, they're all early evening. So they're sort of around the seven till nine, nine thirty. Um, time. So uh, Geelong on the 23rd of March, Halls Gap on the 2nd of March, Melbourne Crown on the 20th of March, Melbourne Astor on the 21st of March. I'm hoping to get to that one. Always love anything at the Astor, And at Rosebud on the 24th of March. So lots of different locations where you can go, Halls Gap, that's pretty cool. It's a bit further away from the sea.
0: It is, but um, yeah, Halls Gap, we love the yeah. Gramps.
1: Should we have some music and get Kate in, or do you want to do a quick one of yours,
0: So I'd just like to talk about um, a paper that was mentioned in the paper yesterday, Um, and this comes from Bradley Eyre, who's a professor of biogeochemistry at Southern Cross University, and he's got a paper in science, which I bet he's damn pleased about. Um, And this is on Coral's Face, A New Peril, this time from below. And Professor Eyre has looked at the... At the sediment the calcium carbonate sediment which underlies reef structure so we know that the reefs um, corals themselves are made of calcium carbonate limestone but then you have all this the sediment below the reef which is made up of old broken up coral but also calcium carbonate that comes from um, calcareous algae there are green algae there are red algae coralline algae um, halibeta is a green one which are also made of calcium carbonate bryozoans shellfish all sorts of things in the ocean are made of calcium carbonate and this this sediment around the reef therefore has got lots of calcium carbonate in it like the reef itself but this sediment they realize now from putting these little chambers initially at heron island and now they've done experiments um placing their chambers in hawaii um in uh, french polynesia and a couple of other coral reefs around the world in five different sites they are showing that These sediments are dissolving at an alarming rate. In fact, they are dissolving more quickly and this is in increasing acidification of of the ocean. We've talked about this many times. More carbon dioxide in the atmosphere because we burn shit. Um, That carbon dioxide in the atmosphere dissolves into the ocean, making it more acidic. A more acidic ocean, that is something with a lower pH, will dissolve calcium carbonate. If you take a piece of chalk, chuck it in Mm -hmm. water which is a little bit acidic, mm. then that will dissolve the chalk. Mm. This is what's happening in the oceans. Mm. So not only with this increasing acidity in the ocean is it harder for corals to to form in the first place, that is to take the calcium carbonate out of the water, if you like, and build stuff with it, build mass. But the sediment that we have, which is made up of calcium carbonate, again, not only from corals but from bryozoans, shellfish, calcareous algae, This is dissolving as well. Mm -hmm. And alarmingly, it's dissolving, according to Professor Eyre and the people that he worked with on this. It's a true international collaboration. This is dissolving at up to 10 times the rate that you have a decrease in the calcification of the reefs themselves. Mm. So this is perhaps going to be an even more pernicious effect of... Um, climate change, Mm. increasing acidification of the ocean. But they do put the caveat at the end of the paper is that that they don't know because you're still getting build-up of the coral at the top, even if you're getting increased dissolution of the sediment. They're still not sure what that effect will be. I suspect it's going to be bad, but they
1: just don't know yet. Don't know how bad. Yeah, Mm. don't know how bad. And how different species will react as well, differences in different species. Exactamundo, Mm. Yes. Yep. Stay tuned.
0: Stay tuned for that one.
1: Thanks, Dr Beach. You've got some more, but we're going to get Cade in for yeah, now. Yeah, from
0: the same issue of science, we will talk about that in about um, 15 minutes or something after we chat to Cade.
1: Excellent. I'm going to play a track now from Black Eyed Susans. They've got a gig in late April at the Melbourne Recital Centre where they will be accompanied by a full string section, which mm-hmm. will be something fairly spectacular. I bought a ticket yesterday. I'm very much excited about it. You're all over this. it. So, um, playing a, uh, a track from their release from last year, and uh, this is the good life never ends. Oh. The Alderman is a small independent bar and gallery space on Lygon Street in East Brunswick, offering Triple R subscribers a 10% discount on all drinks. They have a Sicilian bar menu, delicious wines and beers, snug spots by the fire, and room to move in the leafy beer garden. The upstairs gallery space is home to regular lectures, poetry readings, and book launches. The Alderman is a proud Triple R sponsor.
0: Escuchando Radio Marinada en Tres Triple R.
1: Tres Triple R. That is so damn
0: cute. I just want to see that kid and give him a little think, hug.
1: I think we worked out that kid's probably about 25 now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've had that for a very long time. Um, before those announcements, we were listening to um, Black Eyed Susan's From The Lover or The Loved, their release from last year, and The Good Life Never Ends. Played that one for Sarah Sparks a special are, of course, little track.
0: On Radio Marinara.
1: You are indeed.
0: With Burton, Dr. Beach. And we are joined in the studio by Cade Mills. Good morning. AKA Pearlfish. <laughs> Can you tell us where Pearlfish comes from? Well, it's a diamond in the rough.
3: It was following on from last year's um, subscriber thon. It's a fish that lives up the butthole of a sea cucumber. <laughs>
1: And you chose that name for yourself?
3: Well, I was going with the theme of the uh, Radiothon and the diamond in the rough. I didn't think you could find much more of a diamond <laughs> and it couldn't get much rougher than that. <laughs> well, living up the ass of a CQ
1: cover. Like it, was, it was very well chosen. <laughs> it's called a pearlfish. <laughs> yes, so, now I'm stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> so how have the last six months been for you then?
3: It, they've been busy probably the last couple of weeks be busy enough. I've been I've had the pleasure of going to Adelaide twice in the last 3 weeks for conferences. So the first one was the Australian Citizen Science Association conference, which managed to hit what was it? They hit number 1 trending on Twitter while it was going on. Wow. Which considering a lot of their work is communication, you would sort of expect that. But it was still pretty impressive. They did really well and a lot of that was through overseas connections with other organizations throughout the states and Europe sort of sharing a lot of their tweets. And then just last Week, yeah, I'm all over the place. But just last week, I was over there again for the shellfish reef 19th International Conference on Shellfish Restoration or Shellfish Restoration. Yeah,
1: we've we've um, we've got you in to talk about that conference in particular. But before we move away from the citizen science work, I'm wondering, can we spend a few minutes just talking very briefly about that?
3: I'll go through my memory
0: and see what I've got.
3: Yeah. Fire.
1: So so citizen science pearlfish
0: uh, have huge memories. <laughs> <laughs> they got massive brains off their toll. Yeah.
1: They need to. <laughs>
0: they need to yeah, find their way out of the C2 <laughs> Um
1: so our Citizen Science Conference, the, across the board, you're there, I guess, with a with a marine look with looking through it um the, at being there with a marine sort of focus.
0: Marine goggles.
1: Yeah. What, talk to, Mike, how is the status of marine science? Is this, was it a national conference?
3: So it was a national conference and it was, it's, I guess it's heavily dominated by a lot of the um, terrestrial environment sort of work that's been going on, but there's there was a little bit of stuff from, say, nurses. There was stuff about mapping. Um,
0: Watch was that on there?
3: Watch is me, so I... <laughs> well, <laughs> in Victoria anyway, so... I was able to talk about that. There was Reef Watch in South Australia. There's a similar thing in Queensland, um, Underwater Research Group in New South Wales. So there's, there it was a chance for a lot of the marine people to get together. We all sort of hung out and, you know, it was a chance to see what other people are doing. And a lot of it was trying to align projects. So instead of just running it in one state, let's start running these things across multiple states to, one, get more people involved, but also it helps with getting funding and that in the future. But there was some really amazing stuff from other people doing it. And I think it's probably... If I had to review a conference out of ten, I would have given that one a ten. Oh, yeah. In that it was a very collaborative environment and I think citizen science by its nature is very collaborative. You have to have a lot of people involved to be successful and have people sort of buy into it. And the the people and all the practitioners there were just giving their ideas out left, right and centre and anything that they could do to improve your knowledge and to improve projects, whether they were related to what they do or not, they were willing to help. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was great. It was really enjoyable.
1: Were there uh, themes running through? Did you find that, that there was common ground for most of you there with your respective roles?
3: Yeah, there were there were themes, but I think it ended up... It was only the second Australian Citizen Science Association conference, so I think it's it's quite young. And I think a lot of it was just people getting up and saying, this is what we're doing, this is yeah. what we've learnt, this is how we've made mistakes, these are the things we're doing right. But they had some amazing communicators across from the US, and they've been doing it for a long time. And some of the projects that they're doing, there's one that's turned mapping the neurons in the brain into a computer game, and they've had like hundreds of thousands of people on board. They've mapped all these neurons and done this amazing research, just turning it into a game.
1: Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, if it got ten out of ten, it sounds like there's going to be a third one. So.
0: Yeah. Every two years. Yeah. 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 So, anything with citizen science that's on the horizon now, with the, uh, in respect of the marine environment.
3: Uh, I've got a few things up my sleeve which I'm hoping to sort of slowly trickle out over the next oh, even couple of months to can, sort of bring forward. Can you share those with us? I'll I I can give I'll you. i give you a quick one. Give a us a hint. Coming up soon. So we're doing a sea slug census in Port Phillip Bay in the end of April, so the 21st and 22nd of
0: April. Would, would sea cucumbers, sea slugs, all the same thing? um Slightly different. Oh, so sea slugs. Nudies, yes. right,
3: sorry. Yeah. Okay. So we're using yeah. the sea slug to not confuse people, but that doesn't seem to be working. Yeah. So. <laughs> you, sh- obs- you should
1: get
0: a proper marine biologist on this show.
1: <laughs> You're obsessed with sea cucumbers. That's I, what I, this yeah. is all about.
3: <laughs> we do have a sea cucumber in the bay, but I don't know if any fish lived up there, But so there's some future <laughs> research. But, no, we basically using a format that's been used up in new south wales for quite a few years in port stevens they've been doing it for about nine years and it's just to get divers in the water taking photos of nudies everywhere they go and i guess initially it's to build a bit of a species list and get an idea but there's also you know some of them we do know their distribution so we can see whether they're in their normal ranges or outside and then also introduce species as well and it's just an excuse for dive stores to you know get people get their staff and their customers out in the water Having a good look around. Nice one, yeah,
0: and taking photos of Nudibranks. Yeah, beautiful thing.
1: Nudibrank spotto. I love it. Love it. Let's go to the Shellfish Conference. What was its formal title? Shellfish Reef Conference, I should say.
3: It had two well, a very one a very long one. So Australian Shellfish Reef Restoration Network and Nineteenth International Conference on Shellfish Restoration.
1: Nineteenth.
3: Yes, yeah, so it's been going on for a while. And that wow. I think it's every two years right. they do it. And so this was the first time I'd even been aware of it and to be honest shellfish reefs weren't on my radar until a few years ago when I was doing some work with fisheries and we were setting up the ones in Port Phillip Bay.
1: So if it's every two years this has been going for 38 years. That's amazing. That's what the maths would
0: say. Well, but it's an international one, so in other places,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. So this it's an international conference, just happened to be in Australia. Well, this the time. ninth,
0: yeah, the, the second part of it, the nineteenth, is the and the nineteenth international conference on shellfish restoration, right? Right. Yeah. So, so the so first it's... Australian shellfish restoration, okay, network one. Yeah. Gotcha. And I think America's
3: probably been doing this for a, a lot longer than we have, and they've got a lot of great examples where. They've been able to do it successfully, and I think, like when it looked when you looked at the people that were there, there were a lot of represent, representation from the America, and a lot of their projects were big. That was the thing that was impressive. Like one, the amount of money, and two, it was just the size. Could of the can you do
0: like one or two of that before we get to the local stuff, which yeah. I really want to find out about how that's going in our own Port Phillip Bay? What are some of the huge? projects in the US that we've learnt lessons from.
3: So I knew you'd ask me that, so I wrote it down. <gasps> I can see you going didn't I? Yeah. So in, in Chesapeake Bay, this is one that probably impressed me the most. So
0: Chesapeake Bay is on the right-hand it's side. That's where DC is, isn't it? Washington, yeah, so DC. on the east coast. East yeah. coast, yeah.
3: down from New York. yeah, Yeah. Right-hand side. Right-hand works side. Works yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So from, from 2011 to 2015, they were able to reseed 350 acres with, with two and a half billion oysters wow. they put on it at a cost of well 20 it was a 28.34 million was spent on the project but it was successful but it's successful yeah oh they've obviously yeah. been working on it for a long time so they've actually you know they've got this down sort of pat with what they've been doing
0: and chesapeake i think was one of those classic pollution things so it had a lot of stuff draining into it and then they've cleaned it up over the last 30 40 years and Yeah, that's now they can yeah. and a lot of
3: the work is that too. A lot of work sort of making sure what's going on on the shore is going to make sure they've got success out in the yep. water. Um, there's also like there's some examples of projects where the military is starting to get involved as far as keeping shorelines safe. So after the hurricanes and that that have gone through in the States, they did some modelling. I think it was a podcast I was listening to, and they were talking about how if they had have had the shellfish reefs there, it would have been able to buffer the waves and sort of yep. reduce the amount of damage and the amount of water coming through. So, I think the military is looking at spending something like, and I've got this here, a hundred million in living shorelines, so and these sort of intertidal things as well. So they're starting to, like well, not starting to, the scale of some of these projects is sort of way beyond what I'd even considered as being realistic, and they're doing it quite successfully.
0: Excellent. Good to see the military being put to good use. Well, you hope that's what they're doing. They don't have kind of hidden agendas and all of that. Yeah, I'm not one for conspiracy theories. Obviously (laughs) I am. So
1: once these areas have been reseeded and you've got all of these millions and millions of um, of oysters, what happens after that?
3: Yeah, and that's where there was... There wasn't as many projects sort of... Presenting a lot of the monitoring and the work going on on that side. There's quite a few students, I guess, looking at that, which is usually the case, yep. get a student in to look at it. And just fish productivity and the amount of um, extra habitat it creates and starting to work on around
1: checking right. that out. Yeah, Because it basically forms a substratum on which... Other algae will grow and effectively form, well, or rather, That's shellfish and or other shellfish or anything really. Anything, yeah, if, yeah. It's, and it's, its, own-
3: it's just bringing back the structure. So the the story is pretty much the same all around the world as it is, as it is in Victoria or all throughout Australia. In that, yeah, it settled people realised there's this natural resource that we can get access to quite easily. Um, at the same time, all the shoreline, like the way that you were forestry and all that was changing. So you had. Overfishing mixed in with changing urban environments in a lot of these places, and I think there was something like one hundred and seventy-five locations for shellfish reefs around Australia, and there is one reference reef left in Australia now, and so that is where in Tasmania, uh, Georges Bay. Okay. So when you there was a recently on Valentine's Day, there was a lovely article, um, a paper produced, and it was saying that it is the most threatened marine habitat in the world. Know, where is, where is
0: George's Bay in Tassie?
3: It is on the right-hand side of Australia. <laughs> that would be the east coast. <laughs> and just a bit down south. I, I've i never been there. I'm not quite sure where it is myself. So south of
1: Hobart?
0: I, I, I saw it on a map and went, yep, right-hand side down near the bottom.
3: Yep. Right,
1: okay. Yep.
0: So, so back back to what's happening in Port Phillip Bay and, and the shellfish restoration that we have there. Was, was that reported on in South Australia at the conference?
3: It certainly was. There was a few of us doing it, so there was a sharing of images and all that sort so of stuff. So how's that Coming going? It's, it's going great. So they've got so a couple of really large reefs, one near Hobsons Bay there and the other down in the Geelong Arm. These are oyster beds. These are oyster... Well, they're, they're beds of limestone where they've put shell and oyster culture that's come out of the aquaculture facility with oysters on it yep. out there. Um, they've been monitoring... Uh, I'd be making something off if I told you about the survival, but they've had good survival. They've got some large oysters on the reef. and
0: yeah. yep. So there's, those oyster shells have been put there to encourage oyster spat, like new oyster larvae, to settle and grow more oysters. So you've got living oysters on dead oyster shells.
3: It's hoped we're going to get to that stage where that's all you need to do, but to begin with, there's the hatchery down at Queenscliff and they will settle the oysters onto scallop shells. And then the scallop shells will go out onto an aquaculture lease, they'll grow up for a while, they'll tend to them. And then once they're sort of large enough, because obviously predation's a bit of a risk in Port Phillip Bay with the mysterious and um, 11-armed starfish as well, so they're introduced and the native. And so once they're sort of large enough, they'll then go and lay them down on the bed of limestone that they've put to get that little bit of elevation, elevation to keep them out of the sediment. Okay, and then monitor them over time. But the plan is eventually you get that critical mass of oysters in the bay and you get natural recruitment, which is I've got a whole lot of um, citizen science groups helping out
0: to try and get an idea of actual oyster recruitment in port Bay at the moment so they are people who are divers and you want them to to report to take photographs and then send those into you or no
3: it's a lot more structured than that this this project's quite intensive and the people involved have just given so much time and been fantastic it's putting out settlement plates at certain times of the year when we know oyster larvae is going to be in the water so we can get an idea of I was relative reading about abundance that
0: through the, the MPA website the oh there other, you go that's yeah.
3: the one yeah and so give it a
0: plug again
3: yeah, well, it's, I guess it's Oyster Watch is the new name for it now, and so we've been fortunate enough. So we've got people from Point Cook Marine Care, Jawbone, Alba Park Fishing Club are also helping us out, uh, Ricketts Point, Dive Line, um, Academy of Scuba, Dive to You, all these stores, and they've all sort of, I guess, looked after a location and we've got sediment plates out there. So people go
0: to the VNPA website and then go to Oyster Watch. I think it's called Platewatch at the moment. Watch will be there,
3: yeah. You could
1: probably just search. Yeah. You'll be able to find it. Hey, quick bit of clarification. Thanks, Nerida. So, George's Bay near St Helens and north
3: Oh, there you go. Wow. I saw, so, I saw too many maps while I was at the conference and I got it right. Still on the right-hand side. Still on the right-hand side. Thank you for yeah. that. Between uh, <laughs> St
1: Helens and Bishno, somewhere up around there. Yeah. Thanks, Kate.
0: Can I just ask, before we let him go, um, mussels as well, so mussel reefs in the bay. They coming back or
3: they're starting to use some of the i guess the remains from the aquaculture facilities when they thin their ropes they'll collect yeah. the muscles there and starting to put them areas and they're starting to monitor to see whether they're surviving but that i think is the next step for it okay
1: we're going to get you back in in the next few weeks we can continue this discussion pleasure thank you kate cheers i want to find out more about this conference as well you're listening to radio marinara it's four minutes to ten uh quick station announcement i believe nerida thank you
2: Triple R presents the Wheeler Centres in conversation with Corey Doctorow, science fiction author, activist, journalist, and the co editor of Boing Boing. Doctorow joins author C.S. Picat to discuss his latest sci fi novel, Walk Away, set in the automated near future. Join them for an expansive conversation about digital rights, surveillance, automation, the imperfect present, and the foreseeable future. Tuesday, February 27th at St Kilda Town Hall. Bookings at WheelerCentre.com. The Wheeler Centre sponsoring Triple R.
0: G'day, John Clark here. When I want to learn about all things wet and salty, which is a pretty much constant desire on my part, I tune into Radio Marinara Sunday mornings at 9am on 102.7 Three Triple R. Oh, Clarkey!
1: Much love. Yeah. I've got a live read to do. There's a, a live s- read. Very exciting activity happening yeah, get, this afternoon. Get up on the lectin. <laughs> Triple R's annual barbecue day. You know about it. I'm going to tell you about it anyway. It's on its series today. There's already a flurry of activity happening here around the station. Uh, with people getting busy, getting things ready to take down the hill to series. And so this is um, going to be on today from midday till four, live broadcast featuring Edith from noon, greening the apocalypse crew from 1pm. If you've never seen Bushy live in action, here's your big chance. And the JVG radio method bringing it home with the all-star Melbourne Barbecue Orchestra from two till four. Uh, You will remember last December when Barbecue Day has been on in the past. There was a giant storm that came through or was forecast to come through or something. Anyway, it's this is why it's happening today. Brunswick East Primary School Grillers will be on the barbecue catering for carnivores and vegos. Triple R bar, free entry, proudly sponsored by Mountain Goat Beer. So you can get down to Ceres, corner of Roberts and Stewart Street, East Brunswick. Uh,
0: and you Do you have to be a subscriber?
1: No. Okay. You can if you, I mean, you
0: can when you, subscribe anytime. But if you're not anytime. a subscriber and you go, then you will subscribe.
1: Oh, well, you can. You I, I don't know if you there'll may. be people there taking you subscriptions at oh, Barbecue oh, Day. Well, right,
0: I'll shut up then.
1: <laughs> well, You never know.
0: <laughs> I could get down there and take subscriptions.
1: Are you offering? Uh, <laughs> call call tomorrow. Call I, the I, station tomorrow. I do plan to go. But you don't have to be a subscriber. We were talking about merch before. There's always great merch down at Barbecue Day as merch. well. Merch. Yeah. Merch. Thank you, Dr Beach. It's been a Thank pleasure. Thank you, Nerida. Thank you, Kent. In the green room, he will be podcasting this show in the next couple of hours. Thank you, Cade. We've kept you in the studio.
0: Thanks. And I, will, oh, sure. um, I was going to talk about the shipping news, but I will talk about that next week with Anthony on the yes, program. Yes,
1: when you guys are both in. And uh, thank you quickly to Rex as well who was in. Yes, so that's next week's program. Um, I won't and be And we here.
0: also have Jeff Westcott coming in next week to talk about the progress of the Marine and Coastal Act. It's now um, past lower house, state parliament, and it's going to through the upper house in the coming weeks.
1: Brilliant. I'll be in the following week on the 11th of March. We've already got a jam-packed show. John's going to be in. We've got Jeff Maynard coming back in, and the Ocean Film Festival will be profiling as well. Lots of marinara stuff over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. In the meantime, go and get yourselves ready for barbecue day because it's always an awesome afternoon. And uh, stay tuned for therapy. We'll catch you next week for more Radio Marinara. Bye for now.